Welcome back, everyone. Edition of Inside the Winner Circle here on the Win Life Podcast with Wilder Rivera. I am really excited today because I have Nzinga Oniwosa here with me, Haitian American inspirational speaker and holistic health consultant, award winning artist and classically trained pianist, creator of Sankofa's Child, someone that's been featured in The Sun Sentinel, Essence, Mantra Magazine, Heart and Soul Magazine, 2015 Legacy Magazine, named 40 Under 40. And you probably know her um, because of her most recent project, Yeah, Baby, I Like It Raw, which is also her Instagram handle where she showcases holistic lifestyle and inspires us all to tap into our raw potential. And if that wasn't enough, she's also the co-founder of Impact Hub Port-au-Prince, which is a co-working space for social entrepreneurs social entrepreneurs there in Haiti and is featured in a new documentary Cambesim which tracks the journey of her business partner on the post earthquake uh, journey to find his mom huh I mean Zinga so much to talk about thank you so much for being here thank you for having me so you know let's just dive right in I mean so much is already put out there in your in your bio, but let's take it like sort of one step at a time, right? Sure. Right now, people who know you probably know you through Instagram or your YouTube channel um, for being just not just super inspirational, but brutally honest and giving certain perspectives to things like um for example, the social media gaze, which is a term I kind of like to, to throw out there, which is the difference between like how we actually are and how we portray ourselves on social media. Yeah. Um, and about just living well and embracing a different lifestyle, especially as a person of color who comes from a West Indian background where, you know, as a Puerto Rican myself, we're not necessarily known for raw or vegan eating. Talk to us a little bit about how you got here. So um, my journey didn't come out of my aching desire to be a vegan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I was kind of actually sort of anti-vegan. I was really attached to chicken in all shapes and forms. Um, but I was also dealing with some complications with my health. Uh, when I was pretty young, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor, uh, autoimmune disorder, as well as polycystic ovary syndrome. And so consequently, I was placed on a lot of medications. I had a few specialists that I visited on a regular. And by the time I was 20, I was pretty much fed up with that as a choice for me, um, for my life. And I started doing some research. And when I did the research, I decided that a plant-based lifestyle would be the way to go. I I should say a holistic lifestyle was the way to go because it wasn't just a change in my food. So I silently went vegan and started eliminating. (laughs) Yeah, I was dating someone who was vegan and I just did not want him to to be aware of that um, until I was fully in. The last thing I wanted to hear was him barking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I went vegan when my parents went out of the country and I didn't have any temptation and I started (laughs) to change things in terms of what I was putting on my skin and here we are Um, that was 2001 and here it's now 2019 it's been 
18 years. Uh, Man, 18 years. That's that's quite a long time. And I just want to highlight a couple things that you said that I think the listeners really need to key in on, which is one, you know, sometimes there are people that come on the show that are like, oh, my God, I had this burning desire and I just followed it. And what I love that was so honest about what you said was, listen, this didn't come out of necessarily a burning desire around being a vegan and bringing holistic lifestyle to people. It came out of necessity centered on healing myself and making yeah. sure my health was good. Yes. Essentially, it was that. I was told that I could not, I would die young and have organ failure if I wasn't placed on medication for the rest of my life. And that there were certain things that my body wasn't going to be able to do without the assistance of medication. And I remember my um, endocrinologist, that's my hormone doctor, making that statement and feeling a bit um, defeated. Uh, But I'm happy that he said that to me because now I'm on the other side of that and I'm able to live and exist pretty well without medication. All the things that I was told I wouldn't necessarily be able to do without medication I'm able to do. And the main, one of the main things is I couldn't have a period or menstrual cycle without medical assistance. And now it comes on like clockwork every 30 days. I mean, that's huge. And I know maybe some of the men listening may be cringing, but guys, think about it like this. Your body needs to like sweat, right? So think if someone told you, hey, you're not going to be able to sweat unless we make you sweat. And then through your own sheer perseverance, research, and uh, listening to your body, you're able to establish a normal sweating cycle. That's essentially what the period does, but for the reproductive system and for a lot of different hormone uh, levels of women. So that's that's huge, uh, Nzinga. So let me ask you this. You did mention, and uh, you know, um, I'm highlighting this, and I'll explain why in a second, but you did mention that you went secretly vegan, and part of that was the, your partner at the time, but also part of it was when your parents were out of the country, right? Because there was nothing to, to tempt you, or out of town. Um, and so talk to me a little bit about, you know, what was their reaction when you finally were like, okay, listen, I am changing or I've changed my lifestyle. Cause I'm sure they noticed you passing on the gruyon and the, and the different delicious Haitian delicacies. Right. So what, was there any pushback? Were they cool with it? Like, what was that experience like? Because then this became a big part of your sort of passion and purpose for the rest of the planet. So I would say my boyfriend was at first like, what are you talking about? You're not vegan. I was like, yeah, I haven't had anything in over 40 days. I don't remember what, what it's been so long. I don't know how long I waited before I told him. But then he was super um, excited and very supportive of my transition. And it was great that I was dating him. He probably made it a bit easier than it would have been for me if I had done it if he were, we were in a relationship because he did a lot of cooking. So mm. then that helped me to learn how to then transition in terms of my cooking. I cooked while I wasn't vegan, but there's definitely a learning curve when it comes to cooking vegan. So he helped sh- shorten that learning curve for me. With respect to my family, 
you know, I don't really remember too much pushback. They probably just thought, oh, she's probably doing it because of him. Because of him, honestly. Um, and they were pretty supportive. And I think part of the reason why my media family was supportive was because of the religion I was brought up in. We were seven-day Adventists. Okay. And we had a restrictive diet to begin with. Like, I'm Haitian and I've never had griot. You know, and okay, most people would- yeah. Most people say, like, what kind of Haitian are you if you've never had griot? I'm like, I grew up 70 at Venice. We never had pork. Yeah. So griot was an option. And, and with seven, if you know anything about 70 Adventism, they also preach veganism. So it wasn't something that was a f- complete and foreign concept. It's just my family just stuck with the kosher diet mm-hmm. because it just sense with our Haitian background and through the years they've been super supportive I will say that I'm pretty blessed um, to the extent that they'll tell me when I think something is vegan when it's not they know my rules (laughs) and they they make dishes for me I remember I was getting ready to eat some rice and my grandma said no you can't eat it because we used oil that had cooked chicken in it so that's not clean like you need it to be and most people don't even think that far who aren't vegan yeah. but yeah like my family's seen me committed and they've been so supportive that's awesome um, that's awesome and they make- yeah and you also i want to you know because i know most people know you for yeah baby i like you on i do want to spend some more time talking about that but i don't want to gloss over sankofa's child um and the work that you've done there through using arts to engage build and inspire and heal individuals and families and communities and a lot of the the um I don't know if it's appropriate to call it like the grant work but a lot of these sort of different projects that you've done with that organization in your community because um, you're very multifaceted, you know, in your own right, you're a classically trained pianist and an award-winning artist. So talk to me a little bit about how, you know, those things are still happening, what sort of made Sankofa's child come and, and how you sort of balance it all now that you have this really diversified um, offerings. Um Sankofa's child is actually my parents' worst nightmare, if I'm honest. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They're beginning beginning to accept it. So I went to college um, with the intention to be a doctor. I majored in neuroscience. And I decided that wasn't the route for me, particularly as I was going down my journey through healing um, and as I was going into my major, I just wasn't comfortable with the idea that if I was a neurosurgeon, I would potentially create damage to fix damage. It just didn't resonate very well with me. And I started to date. So a lot of people don't know the story. So I started, started dating someone and I had a new set of friends. Um, and the both of them were like, you shouldn't be working for anybody <laughs> at the time. <laughs> and they were like, you were way too talented to be working at someone's job. At the time, I was working at Hair Club for Men. Okay. <laughs> 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 I always laugh, like, if you're in that right age group now, no, realize I'm I getting know old. all about it. I still tell people. I, I, I remember the, the temp agency telling me, like, yeah, we found a job for you at Hair Club for Men. And I laughed, like, what do you mean, Hair Club for Men? Like, 
I'm not only the president, I'm also the client. Yeah, I'm also a member. That's exactly <laughs> it. That's exactly correct. So I was working there, started dating um, someone, and I had a set of friends as well. And they were just like, you were way too talented. And the guy I was dating saw my artwork. And then he found out I was a musician and he knew I was a poet and he knew I was into theater and all these things. And he's just like, no way. Like, are you showing your work? And I was like, no, I'm kind of focused on college right now. And he's just like, no. So he gave me a deadline that you have a month to have a website up. And it was just the right thing I needed. So in the process of me like coming up with the website, I said, well, what am I going to call this website? And that's when I came up with the name Sankofa's Child because all of that I do in terms of my artistry comes through my own personal journey of Sankofa. Mm -hmm. Sankofa is a Ghanaian term that's associated with the Dinka symbols. And Sankofa means to look at the past to build for the future. Mm -hmm. And when I came up with the name, I felt that my personal journey through um understanding my heritage and the legacy and my ancestors and all of that it came through birth all of the ways that I was expressing myself artistically. So website comes up and um, I then was challenged by the same boyfriend to, to do exhibit. And so now the world around me was becoming aware of the fact that I am actually a multi, multi I'm a multidisciplinary artist. So the friends that I had made uh, via an open mic were like, you know, like, you should be a teaching artist. And I'm like, what's that? And they explained a teaching artist was one that, that didn't teach art for the sake of art. They use art as a platform to educate, to um, help children, at-risk children build self-esteem, to enhance curriculum and things like that. So they were working for a nonprofit. I interviewed and became self-employed. I became an independent contractor, started getting contracts to that nonprofit, started getting my own contracts. And I have been doing that <laughs> for, since 2005. So it's been, and this may be 14 years since San Cofa's Child, well, 14, 15 years since San Cofa's Child has been in fruition. San Cofa's Child started in 2004. Um, and then I really went gung-ho with it. So the work looks like I do residencies. I'm in the middle of a few residencies and I'm working with five teachers right now and showing them how they can integrate the arts into their curriculum so that it can be more engaging, so that can be, can teach different um, topics, science, math, social studies, history, et cetera. I do professional development workshops. I also get grants. Um, I Either I partner with institutions to create a project or I personally write grants to, to, to create programs that I feel the community or the schools or different, um, different groups of people need. So it's been really beautiful. I really love what I do. I, I am blessed to say that I love what I do. Um, it's been a source of joy for me. Uh, and it's taught me so much. And I really feel like my understanding, I always knew I wanted to be a healer. Um, and I'm really understanding what that healer looks like for me. I thought that meant that I needed to be in a hospital. But a lot of the work I do um, is hands-on healing 
with children and adults in just different communities. Mm. Uh, there's a couple of things that you said that I'm like, man, I hope that they caught that. Uh, number one, like, even though your parents were super supportive about the vegan thing, because it was in line with some values that were already in place, not as jazzed about maybe you not being a neurosurgeon. However, the way that you listen to what one of my teachers calls sort of the cosmic breadcrumbs, right? The, the, the guy saying, Hey, you need to make a website. And you could have easily been like, no, but instead you were like, okay, universe challenge accepted. Right. And then he said, you should exhibit your work. Okay. Universe challenge accepted. Hey, you should think about becoming this. Okay. Universe cosmic breakdown challenge accepted. So, you know, whether or not you're in any artistic discipline, people listening at home or you're, you know, in a different industry, totally, what Nzing is talking about is really important, which are these cosmic breadcrumbs that allow yes. you to kind of move towards your path when you're not as necessarily sure where that path is leading you, but you know that it's in alignment with your beliefs, your values, and your behaviors, right? Her behavior 18 years ago to change her lifestyle triggered events that were in line with her values and her beliefs that have led her here. Did she know 18 years ago exactly that it was going to be that? Maybe not, you know. Maybe there was, you know, exactly. And and now look at where she is, right? The other thing, you know, that I love about what she spoke about was her ability to to allow those cosmic breadcrumbs to come from people outside of her and her ability to um, continue to collaborate to bring more opportunities and exposure to her brand. Yeah. Yeah. So that it's really important that you guys listening at home, you know, I tell you all the time that you're a brand, even if you're not selling anything. And I think that, and Ziga's story really illustrates that. So now let's pivot a little bit, right? Okay. So you're also obviously, you know, and, and this makes sense, right? After you've delved into your cultural heritage and really digging into, you know, for lack of a better word, your roots, you know, um, you decided to partner to co-found the Impact Hub Port-au-Prince. Talk a little bit about, and I know there's a documentary sort of that discusses it, so I don't want you to give away too much, but you know what you can talk about sort of your experience in deciding to take this, this really this healing work and this work of creating opportunities into this larger scale. You know, I I always say nothing in my life happens by chance. Um, And maybe I'm just more, I've just, I'm easier to listen when these things come, come up, but I've always wanted to do stuff in Haiti. Um, in high school, I was vice president of the Haitian club one year and then president the next year. I was really big on Haitian Americans standing up and being proud of who they were instead of shying away because of bullying stereotypes and misinformation that was out there um, here in the States with respect to Haitians. Uh, So when the opportunity arrived for me to really be hands on deck and do something uh, a bit more profound and a bit more committed, it was a no brainer for me because I had different 
parts of my life that was leading to that moment. And even all of the work that I've done via Sankofa's Child, and yes, maybe I like it raw, makes me a really good asset for our, our project, you know, because I'm able to uh, um, put on different lens. I'm able to, I'm really, I can be really dynamic and Haiti's one of those places that you have to be able to switch gears at any given moment, depending on what you're doing. And we're doing a, a lot right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, so initially this came out of the earthquake. Uh, the earthquake was very tragic for a lot of us. I can say personally, I lost a bit of family members and Haiti. And I remember feeling really overwhelmed with grief and being consumed by grief uh, for, for, for at least a week. And I had a moment when I said that this is not sustainable. If I stay in this place, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this depression that I feel myself running into. So I said, let me take this energy that I'm feeling and do something positive. So I um, tapped into my network and did a fundraiser and was able to raise funds to get a plane down to Haiti because I had access to a pilot who was able to fly into Haiti despite the fact that they were saying no one could fly in and um, bring down some supplies. While I was doing my work here in South Florida, my friend was also geared up. Um, his name is David Pierre-Louis. He geared up and did something similar. Well, initially, he went to Haiti because his mom had moved back and he couldn't get any word from her. So he took a plane and went through DR. And when he went through DR, if, um, a videographer happened to be on the plane, heard what he was doing and followed him. And the rest is history. That's how the documentary came about. That little clip then got aired on the nightly news and eventually we uh, we were always in communication, but we were working separately, but supportive. And um, then he wanted to do Startup Week in Haiti, which is something that we do nationally. And it's a, it's a global movement where it's workshops and other activations for startups and entrepreneurs. And he asked if I would be on board and I joined. And that's when we officially really joined forces. And the rest has been history. Um, now we have a co-working space, and it's been really amazing to see how, when you're align- are in alignment, things just open up. Mm. Without that is a great it. segue <laughs> because yeah. I always, no matter who I'm talking to, I always, always, always stress to the people listening that. Once you've, you know, eliminated the limiting beliefs, once you've defined success for yourself, you know, from the inside out and you've started on that journey, the alignment is so critical that if that variable qualitatively is not in place, you can have everything else in place and things are not going to move the way you want them to. Right. Exactly. Um, And so can you speak to a little bit of, and you've mentioned it a couple different times now, just um, the ways in which you allow yourself and you promote alignment in your life? Because I know for many people, they think, oh, you get successful by saying yes to everything. Or you get successful by taking every job that comes your way. Or, or you have to do that at first or whatever. And a lot of that, I think, is old thinking from a a, a sort of a time of, you know, and not to say unpaid internships 
don't still exist or don't have value, but it was a time where that was more of the norm and the company man was the norm. And there were certain like what I would think are currently antiquated ideas about how we move towards the success that we truly desire. Um, So can you speak a little bit to that? So I speak to, okay. So I don't say yes to everything. (laughs) Um, and that's been a learning curve for me because initially I was coming from that antiquated perspective. But no, maybe not. I don't think I've ever really ever said yes to everything. Um, it has to make sense for me and my purpose and where I want to go. And I need to make sure that I'm not in a deficit when I'm doing something, which has been the bigger switch for me. Because sometimes it may make sense, but if I'm giving too much, Um, then it doesn't make sense in terms of like my self-care and my well-being. So my rule of thumb is to pour from my saucer and not my cup. Mm. And that actually, that what that really means is if I don't have an overflow, I, there's nothing for me to give. Um, not with respect to doing things for free. I do have initiatives that I host for free. I've been fortunate to, to have gotten a couple of scholarships via my yoga teacher training. So I'm always giving things for free that way, but I decide what I'm going to do at no cost or how I'm going to volunteer my time. So that looks like my yoga classes in Haiti are for free. Um, Around the time that it's my graduation anniversary, I'll give some free yoga classes on the beach. I'll give yoga classes at Women's in Distress. But I'm very specific to those things. What's been really important to me is um, being clear that I have value and that um, if I say no, there's something bigger and better there waiting for me and not letting the word exposure <laughs> be a, um, a hook for someone trying to get away with not paying me for what I'm worth. Mm. So that's, that's an issue I've had with um with people who feel like oh my gosh you're so amazing and we don't have a budget but we're gonna have all these people and i just they they throw out the e-word and i'm just like with the internet as it is today (laughs) i don't need closure i could just pay for a facebook ad and stay home yeah (laughs) and i love what you just talked about in terms of knowing your value i think A lot of times in a lot of different industries, although this is like an epidemic in the wellness industry and especially I think and you can, you know, hop in here if if you disagree, you know, um, I think especially for people of color who are first or second generation, maybe even entrepreneurs who don't necessarily have a model, you know, and at least I think now. Like there are kids who are 12, 13, 14 who have the Nzingas to look up to. They have the, you know, the Ty Simpsons and the, and the, and the, you know, the Oprah's and whatever. But when I was growing up, you know, Oprah was still, you know, building her empire. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're, they're, we millennials get a bad rap, but I know one thing and that's evident in your journey is that we are making sure we share this information. And one of the main things is the the message of knowing your value and being okay asking for that value and walking away when someone is devaluing what you're bringing. 
is so important. Um, another thing that I'm really a big advocate for is entrepreneurs being letting go of this hustle hard team no sleep because that's not sustainable and it impacts your business. It, you should create sustainable schedules that if you have to drink coffee in order to, to get through the day, that means you've put too many things in the day, right? Or you're not eating properly. It might be one or the other. I'm so glad you and, said that because, you know, and I'll take a, an example that's out there in the public eye, Ariana Huffington. She wrote an entire book about the importance of sleep, how she literally almost died because she was pushing herself too hard and not sleeping. I know exactly. many stories of people who, you know, by the external measure, right, from people looking from the outside in, they're like, oh, my God, such and such has achieved this and that and this accolade. But the person is working so hard that they end up suffering some major health issue, stroke, yeah. heart attack, whatever. I myself, at the age of 26, had a mild cardiac event, you know, that left me overnight at Jersey City Medical Center because I was subscribing to that mentality. So, yeah. you know, I I am just so happy because, you know, it's not for me to knock what works for people. But I do think there's something to be said about science, right? We, you know, yeah. if it's good enough to, like, promote climate change, right, then it's good enough to promote healthier habits and to dispel myths that are actually hurting our community. Exactly. Um, and especially as people of color, and again, jump in here if you think I'm talking out of school, I think there's a little bit of an extra, like, oh, no, you have to work harder and show up earlier and stay later and do this and do that. It, but, it, but it doesn't make any difference. We're still being paid less. Right. And it's like, yo, whether you're a woman or an immigrant or a person of color or even a white person, like at the end of the day, who has to live in the body you're living in? Who has to deal with your mind, right? Because it's going to get fatigued. It's going to get challenges. It's going to experience all types of things that you're going to have to overcome. And who has to live that experience? So, oh, I just love that you said that sleep and sustainability because that is just music to my ears. And the, and the truth is the challenge that I have with our current society is that we're not really talking about the impact of stress on our bodies, um, in our, on our physical, mental, and emotional self, right? And stress is like a major culprit for a lot of these diseases that we're getting. Mm -hmm. uh, it's finally, the science is starting to catch up with some things that have been thrown out for years. But stress really kills. No, it's hypertension, diabetes, heart disease, stroke. It's, our adrenals are off. That's crazy. That just starts to lend a cascade of events. But, you know, we get so used to stress that we don't even see stress as stress anymore, particularly as people of color. Oh, it's like a badge of honor. And, and, yeah. and I want to say that it's also people who are coming from socioeconomically depressed backgrounds, right, who have this idea of creating a legacy. Yes, but I've even started to see dialogue that I'm, 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 I'm cringing at that says that how can we talk about self-care when we can't change our social economic or the systems that are in place against us? And I'm saying, although we can't change the systems or certain things that are there, 
that are not within our control, that doesn't mean we shouldn't practice self-care. That means we need to practice self-care more. And what, what the issue is, is that we think self-care looks the same for everyone and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's not a one size Exactly. Like not everyone is idea of a good time is going and picking out a crystal, right? Somebody might need to go shop for new underwear. That's exactly what I tell my clients. It's like, listen, whatever balance looks like to you, I'm not here to judge, but we need to promote it. So whether it's like going to the museum or coloring or listening to music or Netflixing, whatever it is, or cooking. Yeah. And for some people, it might be simple as washing their behind. If they're suffering from Mm-hmm. brush your teeth comb your hair and take a shower mm-hmm. um, but these aren't the conversations we see in terms of like mainstream media with respect to self-care because it always looks like um, a massage something that you spend money on but the biggest biggest tools that I have in my self-care toolkit aren't ones that I spend money on my biggest tool right now is no <laughs> You know, like mm-hmm. flexing. I tell people you need to learn how to flex your no muscle. Yeah. Because that's the only way you can make time for the things that you need to do to find balance in your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I mean, boundaries are so important. And I think that really what it boils down to is a lack in a healthy boundary between work and the sustainable nature of being a human being in an aging body you know in an unkind environment (laughs) and I just it's really refreshing and I'm very happy you know to hear you know the things that you're sharing with the audience because whether you're white black Asian you know or other it's important that you understand the finiteness of your physical being and the infiniteness of the pressure you can put on yourself and the fact that you need to you need to mitigate the latter and increase the importance and the focus on maintaining peace and stability in the former. Um, man, and Dinga, it has like I literally could keep you on for another thirty-five minutes. Uh, so I may have to invite you on the show again another <laughs> time because there's just so much that you have to offer and share. Man, I'm just like mind blown. Um, But a couple things that you said that I really want them to hear. One, pour from the sorcerer, not the cup, right? Because in yoga especially, and I I love your saying, and not not even to say better, but I think it's more apropos, right? In yoga, there's a whole drink as you pour. But that would intimate that as you're getting it in, you're giving it out. Whereas you're saying pour from your saucer, not the cup, is like, listen, man, I got to be at plus 110 and I'll give you seven. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's a hard concept. <laughs> yeah, it's a very hard concept for women for pe- and, and, and for all types of people. You know, I'm not even going to categorize it. I think that's just a hard concept in general for people to grasp. But I cannot stress the importance of what you said there enough. The other thing that you said that I thought was just really important and it also taps on that same idea is to look at what you're doing and make sure that that 
there is no deficit and that your value is being appreciated, right? That sometimes, especially if you're an entrepreneur or you're someone, let's say you're even in the corporate world, like exposure um, isn't necessarily always a great thing, right? Yeah. Uh, sometimes exposure can be something that causes more self-doubt or, or takes away um, where something else would have actually added. Um, so, oh my gosh, so there's that. Oh, I mean, I could just go back over the entire interview, but I got to I got to reel myself in. The other thing that you talked about that I thought was really important was um, how you reacted to the emotions that were associated with such a transformative and heavy experience with the, the loss, you know, that you experienced as a result of the earthquake and how you said, listen. I was experiencing a lot of grief. That was a big trauma. And I had to be self-aware enough. You know, you didn't say, oh, I'm perfect and I knew exactly what to do. No, you were like, listen, I had to like be with my emotions. And then I had to realize that if I didn't transmute that energy, redirect that energy into something productive, it would have consumed me. Totally. Right. And I think that that is something that is just so powerful for people to hear because grief, whether it's loss of an individual, of an opportunity, of a, a life path, um, you know, it's important to just acknowledge it, to be with it, right, to honor it, but then also to transmute it and redirect it. So, man, so many things. Uh, and Zinga, if they want to connect with you, where can they do that? You can find me at yesbabyilikeitraw.com. Um, that's Y-E-S, yesbabyilikeitraw.com. Also, my Instagram is yesbabyilikeitraw. Uh, and what if they want to uh, contracts and Kofa to come and, and, you know, bring the healing modality of art and teach people how to use it to heal people? They can email me at Sankofa's Child. That's S as in Sam, A N K O F as in Frank A S Child at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. And if you guys want to get super woke, like pre woke being a thing, y'all need to go out and watch Sankofa, the 1990s movie that is. Oh, so good. I'm oh, friends I with the director. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let me tell you something. That movie change my life so listeners because i know thing has definitely seen it multiple times listeners if you are into you know really smart well done inspirational and educational films you need to see sankofa um it's amazing so they know where to find you one last piece of advice let's say like someone is listening and they are just like totally ignited and inspired by the truth and the just realness that you've shared today. And they're, you know, they don't want to be you, but they're, they're aspiring to create this type of balance and this type of manifested vision as you have. And maybe they're, you know, like, okay, maybe I'll trust these cosmic breadcrumbs and they want to win life like you. What would be one last piece of advice you would leave them with? Hmm. I would say um, use this quote when in doubt. Are you making decisions that are leading you towards your miracles or ones that keep you in your madness? Mm. Are you making decisions that are leading you towards your miracles or keeping you in your madness? Boy, 
There's a lot to unpack there. So listeners, you know, if you missed anything, thankfully you can run this podcast right back and listen again. And Zinga, thank you so much for being here. You guys, pour from the saucer, not the cup. Go towards your miracles and get out of your madness. And until next time, get out there and win life.